You know, friends, in Alaska every year, they have an endurance race. Anybody here from Alaska? Well, I am told this is called the I Did a Sport. Now, this is not the one with dogs. This is one they call human-empowered, human-fueled. It's a 170-mile grueling combo race, and it's part running, part skiing, and part biking. I kid you not, through the grueling terrain of Alaska, thick and thin, the ice, the sleet, the snow, all the up and downs of the Alaskan terrain in sub-zero temperatures, mind you. And a few years ago, there was a gentleman that was involved in this race, and he was a professional skier, and his name was Jim Jaggers. And reportedly, he led this race and started off with a bang. And in fact, got out to a two-hour start ahead of everybody. He was quite the skier and quite the athlete. And he had gone something like 120 miles, and he started getting tired. And he took his eye off the ball, and he started slowing down. And with just about 30 miles to go, the person that had been two hours behind him, his nearest competitor, caught up to him and passed him by. He said, it just did me in. And he pulled over to the side of the trail, whipped out his sleeping bag, and took a nap. I wonder today how many you know are pulled off to the side of the road and are just taking a nap. For a lot of people, this pandemic has thrown curveballs, and it's brought great discouragement. It's weighed on people's mind the isolation. None of us knew exactly what to do or how to do it. And a lot of people have whipped out their sleeping bag, and they've simply checked out of life, especially when it comes to following God. So we're launching a new series this month called Running with God. And in today's world, it seems like everybody's running. In fact, you're out sometimes and you're just like, where in the world could all these people be going to? But people are running to and fro. And I can tell you today, friends, they're certainly not running with God. And in this series, we're going to take a look at one of the greatest runners of all time. And here in the Old Testament, it's the guy known as Jonah. Jonah is one of the least understood people of all the Bible, and this Old Testament book is one of the most abused books of all the Bible. And for many, Jonah is nothing more than the tale of a whale. Jonah tells us what happens, however, when we run outside of the will of God in our lives. When we decide to give up in life on God, when we decide to pull out our sleeping bags and check out a church, when we decide we're not going to serve God or follow God, we're going to embrace all these crazy thoughts that are out there today, then we are going to find a lot of trouble in our lives. And nobody illustrates this better than this guy in the Old Testament known as Jonah. He's a classic example of a guy that made a tremendous mess in his life because he decided not to follow godly principles and obey the Lord. And the thing about this story is that it often gets overshadowed by the whale. 
It's kind of like the little boy and, well, a group of kids were in Sunday school. As I understand, the teacher had been talking about this lesson out of the Old Testament, Jonah in the well, and trying to wrap up and summarize at the end of Sunday school, she said to the kids, now what lessons do you learn here from Jonah and the well? And the little boy piped up and said, well, people make well sick. Well, I suppose that is a lesson we could walk away from after reading these four chapters in the Old Testament. People do seem to make whales sick. But you know, and I know, that a lot of us kind of look really suspicious when everybody starts talking about a fish tail. Because fish seem to have a habit of growing after they've been caught. You know what I'm saying? The word whale, friends, is not even mentioned in the book of Jonah. You do know that. And so many people have gotten fixated on the word whale and they don't look any further in it and they don't understand what the real message of this story is. The Bible simply says that God prepared a great fish and this fish is only a minor part of this story, just a minute character of the story. And Jonah records here the greatest missionary story the world has ever known. Here is God's grace unfolding in an amazing way. And the miracle of Jonah's rescue was not to save a prophet here from floundering, but to save the Ninevites from drowning. Now, Jonah's name means dove. And doves are symbols of peace. And the first time you find a dove mentioned in the Bible is in the Pentateuch, or that is in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 8. And here the dove was released from the ark by Noah. And uh, the dove goes out and brings back finally a branch, which was a sign of deliverance. Ahoy, there is land. And the dove became the bearer of good news. Jonah's name means this dove, which means the bearer of good news. And he was called to be the ambassador to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was the capital of Assyrian empire. And it was the arch enemy, as you know, of Israel, and it was an imperialistic place. It was a prominent place, if you look on the map back in that day, a very historic place, and yet it was cruel. And the people of the day had embraced all these false ideas and false gods. In fact, the Bible indicates they were wicked. It was going down the tubes. These people were brutal. And it had a population, many estimate today, to be somewhere around a million people. And yet they were all running, and running wild from God. Jonah was called to share the message of God's goodness here and to its people. But instead, what did Jonah do? He declined. He said, I want to have it my own way, the Burger King way. The story here of Jonah, I think, divides very easily into these four sections. Jonah chapter 1 through 4. But I want us to dwell for just a moment on these three particular steps, these three directions that we seem to find dominating the life of this guy whose book bears his name. And the first one here is in verse 3 of chapter 1. And it says that Jonah ran from the Lord and he headed to Tarshish. And he went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the ferry, went aboard and he sailed for Tarshish to flee or to run from God. God said, Jonah, I've got a plan for you. I've got a job for you to do. And Jonah said, thanks, but no thanks. And the Lord said, now, Jonah, I really need you to do this. This is my will, and I need your help. 
And Jonah says, Lord, I'm not interested. I'm busy. And God says, no, that's not the way I want you to live. But Jonah had other plans, did he not? And look what he did. He went down, you know, in the Bible, it says down to Joppa, and he got a ticket on a Mediterranean cruise. And the Bible indicates to us he went down again into that ship and went to sleep. Now, in the Septuagint version of the Bible, which you know the Bible is written mainly in three languages. In the Old Testament, it's Hebrew. In the New Testament, it's Greek. And then a little bit there in Ezra and some other places in Chaldean. And here we find the Septuagint, which is the Greek version of the Old Testament. You know what it says about this in Jonah? It says, Jonah was asleep and snoring. A lot of people today are asleep in life. They've checked out. They're snoring in church. They are running from God. They're embracing all kinds of crazy meta-narratives and stories today. And everything's going down the tubes. What was really going on here is a description of a person running from God. Now, as Bonnie pointed out, if you go into the back of your Bible and look on the map, you'll find out, as she said, that Tarshish is literally in the exact direction, the opposite direction from Nineveh. Nineveh is east of Israel in what we know as modern-day Iraq. And God said, no, I'm going to want you to go east. But Jonah said, no, I'm going west. And Tarshish was a seaport, the best we can tell, somewhere on the coast there of Spain. And he said, I'm going to go as far west as I can go to get away from your plan. And I remind you that Spain was the end of the known world back there in this time period. No one had ever crossed the Atlantic, the best we know. And he said, I'm going to go in the exact opposite of where you want me to go, God. And he went to Spain, and he was running from God. Now, many of us have our own Tarshish stories and we have our own Nineveh stories in life. And one is a city of faithfulness and a city, a place of obedience. And the other is really a place of escape. Is it not a place of equivocation? Nineveh is the call of God here sounding in his life to put God first. And running off to our Tarshish begins happening in the depths of our heart down in the central citadel of ourself where we begin to say, you know, I've got something else I'd rather do than to do it God's way. We are running without God. Jonah here, the Bible says, literally ran from God. And the call to Nineveh was far more significant if you study the text here than first appears here at, at initial glance. And it's really hard to tell what kind of excuses that Jonah came up with in this story. You know, we all have our excuses, don't we? And an excuse is nothing more than a guarded lie. People make excuses all the time. And people today are discarding the Bible in a lot of ways. It kind of reminds me of the kids that were out playing in the neighborhood. And there was a grumpy person in the neighborhood. We've all been there. And they got tired of watching the kids trample the grass and leave the gates open and just be kids climbing in the trees and finally this mean person came out and was yelling at the kids don't do that and you're making too much noise and all that kind of thing and after she got gone the little boy said well I just hate her and the girl spoke up in the group and said oh no Tommy you don't want to hate anybody the Bible says that we need to love everybody and he said well Mrs. Jones wasn't born when that was written 
That's the mentality of a lot of people today when it comes to God's word. But I'm telling you, I'm sticking with what's tried and true. And in the same way, the disobedient believer always finds an excuse. And people can find an excuse today for anything, for anything that we need to be doing. People can find an excuse and just check out and get their sleeping bag and forget it. We read here again that he went down to Joppa. He went down. The path of disobedience, I want to remind you, is always down. First he went down to Joppa, and then he went down in the ship, and then he went down in the sea, and then he went down in the gullet of the fish. His life went spiraling out of control, going down the tubes. And Jonah kept on going down until he decided to stop running from God and start running to God and with God. For Jonah to preach to the enemy, I imagine back in that day would have been a very unpopular thing. Uh, the average Israelite of the day probably didn't care whether an Assyrian lived or died. In fact, they probably performed the, uh, the latter. But I remind you that God is always present. Even when we are running from him, God is always standing there in a position of grace and mercy even when we are out of fellowship with him. I, I thought as I was reading this text about the great boxer there back in the day, many of you may recall the name of Joe Lewis, who was the heavyweight boxing champion of the world back somewhere around 1937 and 1949. And shortly after the Second World War, he was taken on around 1946, a guy by the name of Billy Kahn. And of course, Billy Kahn, this was being built up back in the day as a real big fight and especially because this Billy Kahn was known to have this great agility. He was known to dart in and out of the boxing ring, and he was just this flash of lightning, and he was a guy that knew how to dart into the attack and then move so quickly. He had this finesse about him, and in a show of confidence, as they're interviewing this Joe Lewis, he said, well, he can run, but he can't hide. And I think that's the message here that kind of resonates for me in this life of Jonah because he can run but he can't hide. Notice in verse 3 this important phrase after paying the fare after he paid the fare. You know what? Every time you run from God there's a cost to it. There's a fare you're going to have to pay. The price tag for ignoring God's will is costly. It's going to be expensive in your life. It's not worth the cost is the message here to go in the opposite direction of what God is wanting. Kind of reminds me of that running of the bulls they have every year, you know. Over in Spain or Barcelona when they turn the bulls loose and people just run wild and these two or three thousand pound animals are bearing down on them and goring them. You know, when you run that way, you're going to face a toll to pay. But then fortunately, as we continue to read this story here and we survey the life of Jonah, we find out he gets to the point where he decides things are not working like he wanted. Things are not unfolding like he thought. And Jonah starts to run to God. Notice Jonah's realization here. Things aren't going the way I wanted. And from inside the fish, he prayed, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me from the depths of the grave. I called to him for help. And when the bottom fell out, he started praying. And if he'd done that earlier, you have to be thinking, well, 
things wouldn't have got into this kind of mess. We just seem to wait today until everything falls apart in our life, and then we break the grass, and we reach for the hose or the ax or that knob, and we sound the alarm. And for a lot of people, God seems to be that last resort, that last resort. How many do you know today who have no concern for spiritual matters? How many do you know today are embracing all kinds of crazy thoughts out there and deconstructing from life and from the church? There's oftentimes an accident that will occur in a person's life. There's a transition, which they tell us is about every 15 to 18 months in everyone's life on average. There's some type of loss. There's some type of big transition in our life. Either there's a death, there's an illness, there's a retirement, there's a birth of a child. On average, about every one to two years, there's some type of situation where we find transition in our life. And what do people do when they find themselves in crisis? When the accident happens, when the diagnosis comes, people begin to holler, not out for Buddha, but they holler for God. Lord, help me. And they start crying out to God and breaking the glass. And you have to wonder, you know, oftentimes in the messes that we make and when we decide to go against what God's plan is for our life, if we would have only embraced it, if we would have only followed, what would have happened? Notice here also that Jonah did the best when he ran with God. Now, as you complete chapter 1, as Bonnie was reading there, Jonah here was cast into the sea, and you realize the crew on the ship began turning to worship God. I mean, they were thankful this guy was out of the ship. And they turned to God. And you know, God, when you run with, away from God, it's just as traumatic as when you come to God. When you come, it's emotional when you release your life to God and you say, God, I need you. God, I need a change in my life. These people were greatly relieved and they began to really worship God. Jonah's experience was in many ways just as traumatic as it was in Acts 9 with the story of Saul when the scales fall from his eyes and he realizes he believes in God, gives his life to God. And then Jonah here, it says in chapter 3, set out and went to Nineveh. He ran with God a three days walk across and he began to go into the city, going a day's walk. I bet he hit the ground running. Now you can imagine this guy who has just spent three days in the belly of a fish. He's probably bleached out from the acids of the stomach. It's kind of matted hair, clothes stinking, running through the city. I bet if you saw that guy, you'd repent too. And Nineveh was one of the great metropolitan areas of that time. And the three days here refers to the time that it took him to walk through the city, not to get to the city. And you know, in the Hebrew, it goes on to tell us quite literally 40 more days and Nineveh would be overturned. And the people embrace God. There is no limit today to what can happen in your life if you run with God. If you follow the Lord, you'll become like salt and light. 
Today, we need salt and light. We need Jonas in this crazy world and this point in time in history to be salt and light. You know, the symbol of salt was so important in the early church that when they baptized you and sprinkled your head with water, they also put a pinch of salt on your tongue to remind you of the purifying agent that you are in this world. Personal sorrow for sin was evident, and they became salt and light to shine in this world. I wonder today if you would be willing to run with God. You know, you don't have to earn anything. You don't have to pay for anything. You just have to be willing to give your life to God. There was the gentleman one time who performed some type of miscalculation as he was on his trip, and he realized he only had enough money to buy this ticket to get on board this vessel, and he didn't have money for food or a souvenir or anything else for that matter. Just barely enough money to buy the ticket and get on board the, the ship. And it was a two-day cruise back to his home back in London in that day, and the thought of being on a ship without food for that long was not a pleasant one. But he said, I'm going to have to do it. He did it as long as he could until the last night before he got off. He went down to the dining room, saw all the people gone in and out, and he said, I've just got to have something to eat. He waited for one gentleman that was all alone to go through so he wouldn't be embarrassed. said, sir, would you mind to bring me a piece of bread when you come out? And the guy said, well, why don't you go right in with us? Why don't you come in and eat? And the guy said, well, I don't have enough money. I just had enough money to buy a ticket. And he said, sir, the meal was included in the price of the ticket. <laughs> so many today are on the run. And they don't realize God's already paid the price. But all they have to do is come to God. And I hope you'll do that today. You join me in a moment of prayer. Oh, holy God, we thank you. Thank you for this wonderful story of grace in the life of Jonah. And Lord, it appears that it's from yesteryear, but at the same time, it's so contemporary. It's so relevant to us as so many in our world seem to be running from you. There's all kind of messes that people have created today because they've decided to head to their Tarshish and not to follow you to Nineveh. We pray, God, for your peace to be upon the hearts of your people today. We pray that your spirit would penetrate those that are in their sleeping bags, those that have checked out of life, those that have become bored, those who have deconstructed and embraced bizarre meta-narratives. Oh, may your spirit through us as people of salt and light. Know the dove of peace, your son Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.